Good morning, City Bible Church. We are in a series called Transformations that is based on Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, where the Apostle Paul wrote that we are to not be conformed to the fallen thinking and living of this world, but rather we are to be transformed as we submit our lives unto God as our spiritual act of worship and have our minds renewed with the truth, we will then find his good and acceptable and pleasing will. And so we've been looking in this series at the different transformative themes that have been happening in our culture that have been accelerated by this great reset that has happened this past year. The Church of Jesus Christ is the most transformative community on the face of the planet. Uh, The gospel is not so much an innovation in technology so much as it is an innovation in human thinking and human living. It is the most innovative thing the world has ever seen because it is so different from the conforming, fallen message of a broken and lost world. And so we have been in this series uh, of transformations and looking at how we can live transformed lives, uh, both individually and as the church, in a world that's conforming to ungodliness and fallenness. And, uh, and we can bring the saving, loving message, holy message of God into that world. Uh, today we're going to look at the topic of the transformation of the environment of planet Earth. And I think that many of us, we, we come to this topic with uh, kind of different starting points. Some of us, uh, we've kind of uh, had a normal habit of reduce, reuse, and recycle And that's just kind of become part of our everyday routine. And that's about as far as we think about uh, the problems in the environment of the earth. Uh, I think there's another group of us where uh, we're really doubtful of the data that we hear about whether there's global warming or not. Can we really trust these voices? Is there a political, is there an economic agenda behind it? And uh, it's not really an issue that we feel in the gut. And there's others of us that we have a real sense of mission around this topic. We are bitter about the world that we have inherited from those who came before us when we uh, see what we believe is happening in the environment. We have a call to action here in the present about what to do about it. Because as we look to the future, we believe that the very existence of the human race uh, hinges upon what we choose or not to do on this issue. I live in a city that is uh, tremendously environmentally conscious uh, about this issue and what's happening with our planet in Long Beach. In Long Beach, uh, there's a lot of conversations about what's happening in the ocean, what's happening in the cleanliness of the city, what's happening in the wider um, uh, global warming conversation. A lot of people are talking about this issue. And so when our church came down there many years ago in my first church plant, uh, we started something called the 44-Minute Downtown Trash Pickup. I had gone to a community meeting that was organized by the city, and someone had said, why don't this downtown is so dirty, why doesn't someone pick up the trash that's left over? And so our church kind of stepped up. We organized this thing on Saturday mornings once a month. We called it the 44-Minute Downtown Trash Pickup. We invited the community to come join us, and then we kind of just um, invite them to church. And it was our way of showing that the church cared about the issues of the city. Um, About 10 years ago, I sat on an environmental panel at Long Beach State 
Uh, and we, as we spoke to college students, and there was the, the Buddhist priest on one side of me, and there was the uh, Native American shaman on the other, and we were all talking about uh, an environmental perspective from our own traditions. And so when it came my turn to talk, I said, uh, if you care about the environment and you want to be actively involved in doing something about it, you really need to look for the spiritual angle behind your activism because activism tends to fade out or die as you get older. And really the only thing that really keeps you a part of it is if you can see truthfully uh, a, a, a spiritual perspective behind it. And so I kind of gave mine as, as a Christian. When I was in high school, I wrote a speech on the pollution of the oceans that actually won several contests as I went and spoke to different volu adult volunteer groups uh, in the city. And uh, I began that speech connecting the pollution of the oceans to the Bible. And the first line of my speech was, I quoted Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, where it says, In the beginning, the earth was without form, and it was void, and there was darkness, and God hovered over. He created the waters. And I wanted to connect nature directly towards the biblical God in that speech. This, the city I live in uh, sometimes gets a perspective that is uh, off, where we care more about the environment than we do about the unborn. And so uh, that was very disturbing to me as I would reflect on the implications of that. And I think that whether it's habit, we believe in it, or we don't believe in it, I think that there's this other group of people who might be listening to this, and we see nature as something to be worshipped. Not nature to be enjoyed, not nature to be in awe of, but actually nature to be worshipped. There are some people who would say that God, whatever definition of God that they believe in, is within nature. Is He is within the rocks and the stones and the trees and the ocean and the air. Um, I think if there was a patron saint for the um, worship the environment as a God movement and that kind of philosophy, it would have to be Yoda from the Star Wars trilogy. Oh, young Skywalker, the force is all around us. It binds us together. It is in the rock, the trees, in the air, in you and me. <laughs> but, you know, it's something like that. But it's no laughing matter. And I think that um, wherever you're coming at from this perspective, that what we really want to do today is not come away from this time saying, I need to reuse, reduce, and recycle more and um, to be concerned about what people are telling me about global warming, but rather we want to come away from this time saying, how can the church be a transformative voice? How can the church be a transformative interpreter of the conversation on the environment or the degradation or the disintegration of the environment? And what we want to say this morning and see is that within the creation, within the environment, is actually the redemptive story of the gospel. And that's how we want to primarily interpret the environmental conversation, is against the backdrop of creation, there is the creation and the fall and the redemption and the backdrop of the environmental conversation. And secondly, we also want to um, communicate to people that there's a spiritual connection between the environment and man's original sin. That man's evil has been transferred onto the destruction of the environment. And so before we get into that, I just want to briefly survey some of the 
cultural conversations that you and I hear, some of the voices we hear about the environment today. Um, we hear about um, the new administration uh, and Washington talking about one of the first acts of our new president was to uh, re-enter the Paris Agreement that has 200 or so organizations and countries around the world that are committed to reducing uh, carbon emissions and living uh, greener um, country, as countries and as organizations. And there's been talk and there will continue to be talk about the Green New Deal that the president wants to push and to implement that will create new green jobs, uh, new uh, green infrastructure and um, energy systems in our country. Recently in California, the governor talked about how I think he uh, established a law that in California, as of 2030, about 15, 14 years away, all new vehicles will have to be electric vehicles that are newly produced. So there's a conversation in government at the highest levels or here in our state on the environment. Um, when you talk about the area of investing, people talk about ESG types of stocks, types of companies. That's environmental, social, and governance companies and stocks. And the E stands for stocks that have to do with um, being, are being environmentally uh, sustainable, whether that's electric vehicles, whether that's companies that um, are producing biodegradable plastics or um, certain plant-based foods. Uh, that's a huge conversation. When you look at some of these companies like Tesla, Tesla's mission is, quote, our mission is to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. One of the largest companies in the world, people who uh, like Tesla and believe in it, really see it as supporting a company that's on a mission to change and save the world. That's the narrative. There's conversations on the environment in terms of food and how do we genetically modify food, whether that's fruits and vegetables or fish or meats. A major conversation in Los Angeles is about the environment and what's happening there. You have um, the, the man who won the Best Actor uh, Academy Award uh, five or six years ago. And he, in his acceptance speech, he thanked everyone he knew. But at the end of it, he talked about um, that we should be primarily concerned with what's happening in the environment. It has implications, he said, for not just our generation, but generations to come. And we cannot take our planet for granted. You have a movie uh, like First Reformed that came out about three years ago where the whole storyline is a small town where there's a pastor who discovers that there's this corporation, local corporation, that's producing some waste in a nearby dump in his town. And the pastor gets overwhelmed. His faith can't deal with the implications of what's happening to the earth and the environment. And so he ends up losing his mind and tries to do a suicide bombing to take out the um, corporate heads of the company that he sees as polluting his town. And he ultimately fails, thankfully, in the movie. But it was a message, interestingly, that uh, the movie said that the environmental issue is bigger than the church, that the church is overwhelmed by this, that the, the leaders of the church cannot handle this, and so the world is the only one who really has something to say or to do related to this, was the message of the movie. In our lifetimes, we have heard the conversation and the voices uh, of the environment related to the pollution of our oceans, the desertification of Africa, the um, deforestation 
of the rainforests, the melting of the polar ice caps, the opening and the closing of the ozone, and the gradual extinction of sea life and wildlife, all of these have been major conversations in our culture. And we want to ask as Christians, where is God's voice in all of this? How should the church view this? Should the church's contribution simply be that we will help clean up the environment because we want to be good stewards of this place and we want you to like us because we care about the environment that has some value to it, of course. But is there a deeper interpretation? Is there a deeper message that the church really has to have at the core of its interpretation as she looks at the natural environment of planet Earth? And so we want to look at the the redemptive gospel story that's found within the backdrop of the environment. And we, we want to see the connection between man's fallen spirituality and the state of the environment. And so I want to look at five reflections right now uh, that will help frame that conversation for us as a church. The first is the first reflection we want to look at is the word stewardship and dominion. Stewardship and dominion. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. And in the very beginning, when God, after he had created the heavens and the earth, his last, God's last uh, crowning achievement was man. And it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 30, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. God, that is God the Father, God the Son, God and the Holy Spirit. Let us, verse 26, make man in our own image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding its seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And we want to start with a perspective on the environment that God created the world. It didn't just evolve. God summoned forth the world out of nothing, ex nihilo. And he created man from the ground. And as he did that, he gave to Adam and Eve both stewardship and dominion. He said, you will tend to this world that I have created. You will be fruitful. You will be multiply. You will multiply. And you will have dominion over everything that has breath. It will be used for you and your sustenance to be fruitful and to multiply. Man was not created uh, for the uh, environment. The environment was created for man. And so that's really where we want to start. Uh, man does not serve the environment. The environment is there primarily to serve man. Now, man, it was not meant ideally in the garden to just go destroy everything because it didn't matter because only people mattered. Man had a stewardship uh, to look after God's creation here in the garden and to use it responsibly and not in a corrupt way. 
And so I think that's very important that God gave to man the animals, the plants, uh, the sea life uh, for his sustenance, so for his health, for his benefit, and to, he, for him to be fruitful and to multiply. So there is a stewardship and there is a dominion that God has given to man. We must start there. Number two is the word corruption. Corruption. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 through 19, um, after Eve took the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where she was tempted and fell into uh, the deception of Satan in the garden in Genesis 3, and she gave it to Adam, and they both plunged, were plunged into sin. God found them in the garden, and God cursed Satan. He cursed the woman. And now in the curse of man, we see uh, the continuation of this corruption in the environment. In verse 17, And to Adam God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For you out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Um, God cursed Adam, and that curse was uh, wrapped around Adam's relationship, not just to his wife, but to nature to the environment. God said that there was this wonderful tree, the tree um, the tree that I've commanded you not to eat from, that I put in the garden, and you disobeyed. And so nature was at the center of the curse. And then because God, uh, Adam had disobeyed God, it says that uh, he will work the ground. There will be the sweat of his brow, thorns and thistles it will bring forth. Adam will be now in an adversarial role towards nature. Uh, he will have to have dominion over it, but it will be a battle. Nature becomes a dangerous place. And ultimately, uh, Adam and Eve and all of human beings, when we die, we will return back to the earth. And so there's a connection between man's sin and the environment. When man was corrupted, the environment became adversarial towards man, and sin was released into the environment, and people suffered because of that. So we want to recognize that the corruption of man led to the corruption of the environment. Let's go to a third reflection. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul talks about witness and worship. These are the words witness and worship. That even though creation is fallen, there is still a witness towards God. And for those who reject God, there is a, uh, a movement within them to still worship the created things of which nature is included in that. In Romans chapter 1, verse 19 through 23 um, verse 18 before that says God's wrath is revealed be, uh, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, people who suppress the truth. So that's who he's talking about. And says, verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. 
For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In that that in, in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him or as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In a fallen creation, there is still evidence that God exists. That we are to worship God who created uh, the environment around us. Lorraine and I and the kids for many years have been going to national parks. Lorraine just comes alive when she goes into nature. And it's really become a huge part of who our family has become. And so we've gone to Yosemite, uh, the Rocky Mountain National Park, Olympic Park, Joshua Tree, um, as well as other parks um, and it's just an amazing experience when you see, hear the rush of, of the stream and you see the beauty of the, the redwoods and you see the snow-capped mountains when you hear and, hear and feel the rush of the wind and the birds in the air. Um, you have to look at that and say, this did not just appear out of nothing. This was not by chance. There's too much detail, there's too much beauty, there's too much awe and majesty for there not to be a God who created all of this. Amen? And for those of you that love to be in nature, you understand how there's something about uh, when we go out into nature, there's something that it brings us life. It brings us an appreciation of the creation uh, of the world and the creator of the world. And so what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 1 is that those who reject God There is enough evidence, even in a fallen environment, to know that God exists and to know that God is to be worshipped because there is too much majesty in creation and really in the universe for it to not have had a creator. And not only has God given evidence that he is to be worshipped, not creation worship, but him, but secondly, for those who reject God, Um, that they ultimately worship the created things. And that includes nature. That's why Paul says, again, in verse 29, that they exchange the glory of the immortal God to to worship the uh, images resembling mortal man, birds and animals and creeping things. There is no spiritual, spiritual neutral gear to the human spirit. The human spirit is never in neutral. It's always worshiping something or someone. And when the human spirit does not worship God, it ultimately will find something else to worship. It always has to worship something as the source of its life. And so the human spirit searches for those who reject God to worship uh, people, to worship images, created things. But ultimately, as well, it can worship the environment, animals, um, nature. That's what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 1. And so there's both a a call to worship and the testimony of nature, of the existence of God, as well as for those who reject God, there is um, a false worship that can happen in the human heart. Not the enjoyment of nature, but the worship of nature. Let's go on to a fourth reflection, the word groaning. The word groaning in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says, In Romans chapter 8, verse 29 through 33, he says, 
For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait for the eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul reminds us that creation is groaning as a result of the fall of man. Every time there's a hurricane, a tornado, a tsunami, um, a, 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 a huge earthquake that destroys land and people and, uh, and destruction, every time that there's a huge swarm of, of uh, insects that destroy fields and uh, where there's animals who, who uh, attack people. This is a reminder not only that the environment can be a very dangerous place, not only that this could in some way be the result of the disintegration of, of the environment, but that this is a spiritual groaning of our world. It is not that the world is alive as a, a, a presence as, a, as, as human beings are alive with a soul. It's not to say that, but metaphorically, Paul is saying that creation as, as something that is alive is exhibiting growing pain, groaning pains. As a woman giving childbirth, there's almost this sense of it is in agony, waiting to be redeemed, waiting for God to have a new heavens and a new earth waiting to be rescued from its defilement, but primarily that it is waiting for man to be redeemed through the gospel. It is waiting for man to be made whole by God. It is waiting for man uh, to be made right with God. And so it is groaning. There's a spiritual connection between our fallenness and the groaning of creation, but also creation's longing through all of those destructive travails of nature to be redeemed and to be to where there's no um, disasters anymore happening in nature. And the biggest disaster that has happened is in the human soul. That is why creation, Paul says, is waiting for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, um, that we ourselves are waiting to be redeemed. Our bodies, our broken bodies are getting older and grayer and weaker and sicker that our bodies will be redeemed um, by the Spirit of God because we are adopted into his family as God's children, and God is going to take care of us. He's going to give us a new body, the Bible says. He's going to um, transform us ultimately, and heaven is going to be a beautiful place, a beautiful place where there is no pain or crying or tears, uh, but only life and goodness and love. And finally for today, a fifth reflection. Let's go to Revelation chapter 21. And this is the word restoration. Restoration. If there is a stewardship and a dominion at the beginning of creation, if it was then corrupted because of man's fall, if there is um, a witness to who God is and the worship of other things outside of God for those who reject God, if there is a sense of creation is groaning now, uh, waiting for its redemption, finally, as a planet, through God, there is ultimately a restoration in the end. And that is the gospel message. There is a restoration 
In Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 and 2 and verse 5, the Apostle John says this about the very end, the culmination of human history and the creation being made right by God. Paul, uh, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. John reminds us that at the very end of human history, um, Creation will be made new. There will be a new heaven and a new earth called the new Jerusalem that comes from God as God remakes the earth and the universe uh, without the effects of sin and man's evil that had crossed time and space and affected the very molecules of our existence around us. That God will make things right when He when Jesus returns and And we are brought before God and we go to live in this new heavens and earth for those of us who believe. And that is the ultimate ending of uh, where the environment ends up. It will be remade after it is destroyed uh, in the chapters before in the book of Revelation. It's a terrible thing. Uh, The great tribulation will destroy much of the earth's natural elements. And so um, it is good to know that the story will end well. I want to close by reminding us that as we look at uh, the conversation on the environment and all of the transformations that society is calling upon people to make in terms of their behavior and what to care about to, uh, in terms of the different uh, challenges that the environment faces, we want to be the church who steps into that conversation and says, uh, we have a responsibility to be good stewards of the planet's resources. Uh, we have a dominion over these resources Uh, Man was not created for the environment. The environment was created for man. But we also want to say that that there is a spiritual connection between what is happening, how bad the environment is getting, and the state of the human soul of man. And if the environment is truly uh, disintegrating, in the end, we want to be able to interpret that by saying that is not primarily because of pollution or overpopulation or some other man-made reason. It is primarily because the environment is a metaphor. It is a sign of what is happening in the human spirit. And as we see uh, the environmental concerns all around us, it is symbolic of the broken and fallen and dark state in which the human soul has disintegrated into And as we see the environment defiled in different ways, uh, it is a sign to us that the human spirit has been defiled in much deeper ways. And that is the right way for the conversation to be when the church speaks into the transformation um, of the environmental conversation. And we never want the environment to be um, taking up so much of our time in terms of how we can address it that it actually diverts the church away from her main mission of people and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Because we believe that even if you can do everything right for the air and the animals and the water and the land, and even if we all did the right thing and did everything clean and sustainable, um, 
if people's hearts are not made right, it's not primarily that their heart is made right so that they can create a clean earth. It is they need to be made right because they've been defiled by their own evil. And if they need to be made right, that is who Jesus is. He is the, the, the ultimate source of, uh, of a clean life, of a sustainable life, is Jesus. And so that should really be our message as a church. We can be good stewards, we can have dominion, but ultimately, how are we interpreting uh, this conversation on the environment? Are we bringing it back to the redemptive story of the gospel and connecting it to the evil of man, but giving hope to people in the end? And if we do that, the church will be the greatest transformative voice on planet Earth.